everybody, it's He Yang. Roundtable is thrilled to launch the UniTalk Challenge: Rising Stars of Roundtable. If you like the show and enjoy our discussions, why not take the stage yourself? Calling all university students, both undergraduates and postgrads, to engage in an English discussion on a topic that ignites your passion. Record your discussion, which consists more than one person, and send it to us at ezfmroundtable@foxmail.com. You could be the next rising star of Roundtable. An incredible opportunity awaits, so seize the moment. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. Listening to Roundtable with myself, He Yang. I'm joined by Xing Yu and Brandon Yates in the studio. Coming up, the most popular theme parks turn world-renowned intellectual property franchises into life. Now, a Chinese toy maker has launched its first theme park in Beijing. Our discussion unlocks the magic of immersive worlds as we explore the rewards and hurdles of IP-driven theme parks. And You know that saying. There's an app for that. Now there's an app for surfing or surf forecasting, to be precise. The app has made the sport more convenient for amateurs and professionals alike. But hold on a sec. Why do so many of them complain about it? Our podcast listeners can find us at Roundtable China on Apple Podcast. If you have a question that you want us to answer on social issues, business, technology, or whatever moves your spirit, you can send those our way. There's a place to do it. EZFMRoundtable at foxmail.com. Emails are fine, but voice memos are always better, and we'd really appreciate it if you could include. Your name and region of residence in that voice memo as well.、Uh, very thankful for that. And now on roundtable, as we turn to our next topic of discussion, immersive theme parks, where imagination and storytelling converge, transform beloved characters and iconic. Franchises into tangible experiences. Globally, intellectual property or IP juggernauts such as Disney, Universal Studios, as well as Studio Ghibli, have constructed these captivating worlds to great fanfare. Notably. Popular Chinese toy maker Pop Mart has recently hopped on the theme park train with the inauguration of its Beijing theme park. So. This is a place that I know some people have been visiting recently,、um, with the、uh, National Week holidays、ah. as such. And、uh, tell us what's there to see, and how are people receiving this debut of a theme park? Yeah, sure.、Um, so most recently, in late September,、um, Chinese toy maker Pop Mart opened its first theme park called Pop Land at Chaoyang Park in Beijing.、Um, so what it has to offer is that. Um, it it offers a chance for fans to take pictures with its flagship characters like Molly, Demu, and the monsters in different settings, and it also has this kind of retail shops and catering and interactive place.、Um, the scale is a bit smaller than other theme parks, as we know, like Disney's、uh, or Universal Studios. It covers an area of forty thousand square meters.、Mm-hmm. So,、uh, basically, in terms of size, Universal Studios Beijing is equal equivalent to forty Poplands. So it's、oh. a rather small <laughs> scale,、uh-huh. but delicate.、Uh-huh. 
I think in that sense, especially it's、uh, friendly to children.、Uh, some of the fun activities for children to to have some fun. So I think it really caters to、uh, those parents、uh, who want to take their children to a park.、Uh, this can be a very ideal destination, and also for、uh, many of the fans of Pop Mart, they can experience some of the limited versions of the this kind of.、Uh, IP characters、mm-hmm. of Pop Mart inside the park, and also they have exclusive merchandise like bags, headbands, and whatever.、Um, these are some of the things you can experience at the park. Yeah,、mm-hmm. how'd you like this idea? <laughs> I like this idea. I mean, I don't have too many,、uh, you know, cartoon characters or toys or anything that I would be interested in seeing in an immersive. Sort of setting,、mm-hmm. but I can see why it, why it would appeal to people that are fans of certain genres or shows or toys or characters.、Um, whether you're, whether you're an adult or a child, I think those sorts of experiences where you get to go to a place and really experience something that you're very passionate about,、mm-hmm. um, and kind of get to grips with, you know, like you said, certain merchandise, meeting the characters in person. I think that's a very exciting experience for someone to enjoy. Yeah, and that's also. The strategy slash gimmick,、uh, anyway, of these、uh, theme parks, which have been、um, employed for for decades,、mm. and I, I think the the first person who came up with this idea is definitely the genius. And this is with,、uh, without doing much research, but people tend to think that it was Walt Disney,、mm. or or at least Disney, who came up with this idea to basically. Um, stick their hands into the treasure trove of IP characters、yes. and so many stories, franchises to work with, and then translate what you see on the screen into real life、yep. and make people come back into or come to your physical space and spend.、Mm. And also, <laughs> was that too realistic? A little bit too pragmatic? <laughs> but 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 no, but that's what happens though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think it benefits both parties. I think it benefits the company, and it's also something great for the fans to experience. Yeah, especially、mm. when you're kids. I、yeah. suppose when you're there and you're just—it's like you're in Wonderland.、But、even and, adults. I even mean, like、adults. people that are fans of Harry Potter, the Lord of the Rings. You know, they're able to go to these locations and experience what they saw on the screen in person. Right. Yeah. And. These are the more successful examples, and the examples we tend to look up to when we talk about what makes a theme park really successful. And you know, for for skeptics of this particular theme park, they have some questions. For example,、um, some would say that it is、um, excluding those who are not fans, because you know, with those very strong、uh, franchises that are so well known, we mentioned earlier. Then I guess even if you're not a fan, even if you haven't watched the movies, you might not mind just to go for a little, tri- yeah, a little trip kind of thing. But with this one, it seems to be very heavily focused on taking pictures if you're adults, and what's the fun in that after you've put that on social media? Then what you do?、Um, but anyway, and also with the、uh, kids. So, but but here's a little bit of.、Uh, Uh, something that maybe we can point out、um, that might not be such a strong suit of this、uh, t- theme park. That is, wasn't the toy maker 
marketing or targeting mainly adults with its collectible figurines and these like lottery boxes of. You don't know what figurine you're gonna get, and then、Blind、you just、box. keep. Yes, yeah. that that's what I was. Yeah, Manghe. <laughs> yeah, this is an idea. See, if you're not from China, you might not. So you buy a box and you don't know what's in the box. <laughs> yeah, that's why it's a lottery. That See, sounds terrible. Not fun for me. I won't be taking part. <laughs>、oh, no, I guess. I mean, and, I and some people actually went for, it, and actually、yeah. a huge number of people went for it, and that's why it became a phenomenon and it became a talking point. And it's quite unique. Yeah, right. I've never heard of that before. Oh well, okay. You should.、Uh, you you're should new to、one. China. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And now you know. So basically, that was targeted towards adults.、Okay. So I'm wondering how big of a fan base it's got among little kids. So, or、mm. I'm wondering because Pop Mart was launched in, I think, in 2010. So after 10 years, those young adults <laughs> back in 2010, they. They're have their、up. kids. <laughs> they have grown up, and they have might have kids, and they, or in other sense,、uh, Pop Mart is、um, they what they want to do is to、um, get more get more appeal from these children, and、mm. when they grow up, you know they will stick still like、mm-hmm. the, this brand or th- these characters, and maybe、uh, Pop Mart is is eyeing the future. <laughs> so in, in this lottery box, there would be figurines <laughs> that appeal to adults. Yeah, like so.、Okay. So basically, this has been touted as.、Um, A thing that Gen Z has a craving for.、Mm-hmm. First of all, it surprised the general public that grown-ups would buy toys. That's what I'm surprised by. And also shell out major time, and、um, so that's one thing. And also, it was this lottery thing that、um, you you don't even know what you're getting exactly.、Yeah. And then、yeah. so it fueled a second-hand market because so many people were getting figurines that they have more than one, and they're like, I don't want to keep this. I'm gonna sell it. But <laughs> guess what? The price. Went down,、yeah. so sounds like strange. And、yeah. also for those、um, uh, figurines that you find it hard to get, they they sell it on the second hand market、mm-hmm. with a higher price.、Mm-hmm. Uh, it so, sounds like card trading to me. Yes, kind of like yeah, that. Yeah.、Um, yes, and also this company has went public, and it's it's a success story in、yeah. that sense. And, Interesting that they're targeting adults. It's a very strange marketing approach. You would you think, think that they、so? would, yeah. I, th- I, I think that you would normally target children if you, you know, if you, you're a toy company. Welcome to China. Welcome to Gen Z. <laughs> This is all completely new to me. Yeah, yeah. like re- you, you'll know about、very、more about it.、Um, that, you know, that, even being that, on this show. That being said, though, in South Africa, there are adults that are fans of you know certain gaming characters. Yeah.、Um, you know, and they also like to collect the actual figurines and playing cards and T-shirts and bags and that kind of thing. So there definitely is an adult market for. Supposedly child-friendly industries. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so that's why there are skeptics about、uh, this pop land. You know,、uh, because the I, the characters created by Pop Mart they they don't have this kind of movies or、mm. stories behind that characters. So、uh, this lack of storytelling may not appeal to that many mm. people. Mm-hmm. It's quite niche. Yeah, quite niche. Yeah. And yeah.、Uh, so for me, when I go to Universal's studios in Beijing,、um, what I am expecting is that because I've watched Harry Potter or I l- 
like minions. So I go there to experience mm. uh, the characters in real life out of the screen. Mm-hmm. And then I also would buy merchandises out of these characters. But if you, you talk about Pop Mart, I don't know these characters. If you're not a fan, then you don't, you're less likely to go visit the Park, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Brandon, I want to check with you because uh, see, you make a completely br- br- brilliant that, yeah. point. How important is it to have a story arc? Hugely, I think. On so, top of the characters, yeah, I think having that story and having seen some sort of artistic element to the park before you actually go to the park, I think it creates like a personal link to that. Mm. So when you go there, you've already had some sort of experience prior to being there on screen. So then when you eventually get to experience these things in person, I think it makes it a much more appealing experience. Okay. Mm. So I was thinking that too, and I was just looking for international examples or, you know, precedents as such. And then I landed at... Legoland. Because <laughs> you, you probably know that Lego is about, you know, a brick after another. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You piece it together into some shape or form. Um, yes, and Lego has um, has paid for and incorporated a ton of uh, existing uh, franchises like Star Wars. Uh, Batman, I think. A whole bunch yeah. of them. Mm-hmm. Every, every, anything you can imagine Legos probably got its bricks on, yeah. so that's that. <laughs> but also, I've I found out that uh, the the first Lego movie came out in 2014 and took critical acclaim, and so it, it surprised me so much. You didn't know? No, I did know, but I think that's a unique example. Yeah, I don't think that yeah. that happens very often. Okay. But, but that's a very good example, though. Yeah, right. So basically, you know, it's just some plastic bricks. <laughs> like a, to- co- a toy that became a story, not a story that became a toy. Exactly. Yeah. So this is what Pop Mart should try to do to, to emulate. But also, I looked at... Um, also, apparently, there were a slew of other movies, Lego movies, that loads, yeah. came <laughs> after this. <laughs> and then, uh, you know... I haven't watched all of them or any of them, but I searched online and apparently people really loved it. And they were saying that, oh, the story's so good. That's so weird. <laughs> Let's not cast judgment on anybody. No, okay. I'm just amazed by that. No. It's, it's a very unique and interesting success story. I don't think we've ever seen anything like that before where something like a brick toy becomes a popular movie. Having like, started as a toy, I've never heard of anything like that. Barbie? So, I just thought of Barbie. That's yeah, a good point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Barbie has its own sort of um, uh, legacy as well as you could say heavy cultural baggage, mm. you know, yeah. for years. And it's only the the live action movie only came out this year, right? So and it's more human-like, I guess, whereas mm, Legos are just, just, just these brick toys. Yeah. And then you, you, you piece them together into stuff okay. and to people. Or um, um, it could be anything, right? Like the falcon of uh, Star Wars or whatever yeah. it is. But the key here is to have the creative force behind in creating uh, creative as well as innovative and compelling stories. But I think you have to have a definite fan base too. And I think that's Mm. where Lego has also succeeded because they were such a popular toy that I think the spin-off success that they've had from the likes of movies and other kind of ventures, it's because of that insane fan base that they have for the actual product. Yeah. And for Mm. the Pop Mart 
dolls. Do they have that fan base? Do Pop Marts have that fan base? Yes, yes, they have. A solid base here. So maybe it will be a success. Yeah. But but when it comes to originality and telling a great story, Mm. hmm, it's not a way to go. (laughs) There's there's an opportunity there. Maybe they should listen to Roundtable and we're giving them some solid business advice. Yes, for free. (laughs) And also, I think it's a good try for their business because um, one of my guesses is that the I think what's interesting that stood out to me is the location they chose. It's at Chaoyang Park. You know, Chaoyang Park is a very popular destination for outdoor goers mm-hmm. and those living in Beijing. And maybe, probably by lo- by locating the park inside the Chaoyang Park, um, it can direct more uh, visitors to mm-hmm. the site, you know, and potentially turning them into consumers. So that's kind of, I think it's a tr- strategy, but I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's <laughs> Sounds like like an expensive strategy though i'm sure they're paying a lot to have that location yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and also before we turned on the mic um brandon you mentioned a really interesting development of things that is theme parks aren't all doing well right. overseas either mm-hmm. so um what's up with that are not because we hear the success stories all the time yeah. whereas maybe a lot of them aren't really doing so well i guess a lot of it had to do with covid as well i think a lot of theme parks just could not stay open during covid i know in cape town we had a very popular theme park called Ratanga junction that unfortunately closed down but again that theme park was purely rides so there was no link to a story or some sort of product like mm-hmm. you know universal or um all of these other like disney these theme parks we've been talking about so i think those theme parks that are just theme parks as in just exciting rides mm-hmm. i think a lot of them had to shut down unfortunately because of the pandemic so maybe the secret to success is to still have a really popular solid intellectual property franchise mm-hmm. that you can work with because People will always want to see Harry Potter um, whenever they get to, well, the chance to do so, it feels. But also, one could argue maybe there will be the problem of aging IPs because, you know, you've got one generation growing up with one of these franchises and maybe Mm. it doesn't always have that lasting, gripping power across generations. And maybe... Well, it might be hard to imagine for those born in the 1980s and 1990s, but maybe Potter will go out of style one day. (laughs) Mm. But then again, like you said, um, a lot of people that are Harry Potter fans that grow up and then have children, they might want to share that experience and that passion with their kids. Mm -hmm. But I think that is something that a lot of these franchises are going to struggle with is staying relevant throughout the generations. Mm, And also creating new IPs. Um, Like Disneyland in Shanghai. I think in the past years, Mickey Mouse was the best, the top um, Mm -hmm. idol there. But Mm -hmm. now, Lena Bell. (laughs) Is is she a pink fox? Pink fox. For me, it's just a pink fox but f- no offense oh, to no those offense fans. oh yeah she's a starlet she's a star but look <laughs> back in the day parents probably thought oh um you know pocahontas it's just another girl to me but now she's become this iconic character you know yeah. so it's just different for each generation yeah yes. and we see that for a lot of chinese uh, cities and um you know uh, with, with these townships that urbanize and hope to become the next like regional draw uh, as such and they're all looking to establish their landmarks and possibly a theme park that can draw in huge crowds. So the business model is there, but to make it work, well, as we've talked about, there's still plenty of other little pieces that needs to be 
uh, in place perfectly for it to work. So there you go. Our discussion about theme parks in China. Coming up next, surfs up. Surfers now have a handy app that tells them the best time to hit the waves. But lots of surfers are not too happy about it. Why the fuss, you ask? Stay tuned. Looking for passion? How about fiery debate? Want to hear about current events in China from different perspectives? Then tune in to Roundtable, where East meets West, and understanding is the goal. It's the hour of Roundtable with myself, He Young. I'm joined by Brandon Yates and also Xingyu in the studio. A surfer is someone who dedicates a significant part of their life to moving across the surface of the ocean, using only the momentum from a wave to propel their board. No paddles, no sails, no kites or foils. Surfing is freedom, body and board, wave power, shoulder power, intimate knowledge of currents and impact zones. Knowing the best time to hit the beach should be a win for surfers, right? <laughs> There's a surf app dedicated for this purpose. And how does it work? Um, it's basically an app and also a website um, that provides surfers with information about wave conditions, uh, the tides and the weather forecasts uh, for for surf spots. And um, all levels of surfers, from beginners to professionals, they can make informed decisions about surfing, uh, when and where to surf after you refer to this app. And it has its color codes. So for some of the uh, not suitable for surfing spots, it will show yellow and orange colors. And for the those who have a green light, it's good to go. So mm. it's basically uh, provides information uh, for surfers around yeah. the world. Mm. And they have thousands of cameras in place on the beach yeah. uh, and watching the ocean and the popular and not popular spots are mostly included, I would think. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, I think I can kind of understand if I'm a snob surfer, which I, I'm, I'm neither. I'm not a snob nor a surfer, <laughs> uh, just, just to, 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 you know, get clean. Um, so they might feel like my personal quote unquote territory gets invaded or, you know, you get all these like uh, people who don't know what they're doing and then they've got the surfboard and they're invading my space. Oh, so is that why traditional surfers are not a fan of this app? Because I can I'm while, to you, while you were busy describing it, and um, it kind of because I know quite a few surfers, and I can think why they wouldn't necessarily like that. Because I think a lot of the traditionalists that enjoy surfing, they're very territorial, mm -hmm. and they're mm -hmm. very um, protective of where they surf, and also the the whole process of surfing. Surfing isn't just the actual act of surfing. It's about getting up in the morning, checking the waves, going from location to location, finding certain locations, you know, that you weren't expecting to find. So I think this app and technological mentality is very anti-surfing culture. Ah. And that's probably why more traditional surfers are kind of against this technological advancement that's encroaching on their traditional surfing beliefs. Yeah. I think that's why they are probably against it. Yeah. Okay. Well, but how did you personally feel about it? Well, I'm not a surfer, so I mean, it doesn't really <laughs> affect me. But I, I, I did spend a lot of time in a very popular surfing town in South Africa called Jeffreys Bay. Uh -huh. Um, it's one of the more popular surfing spots globally. Um, and I just know that there's definitely a, a culture of shunning technology when it comes to 
making surfing an experience. It's something that's very traditional and in-person. So for me, someone that's not very ter territorial or doesn't take surfing very seriously, an app like that would probably be very helpful for me and save me a lot of time and allow me to find the best locations. Yeah. But for someone whose whole life and culture is about surfing, I think it takes away a lot of the enjoyment of the surfing experience for them. Mm. And also it, it, it gives access to surfing information that those traditional surfers probably feel is theirs. Kind and, of and exclusive. They exactly. Yeah. Mm. Okay, I'm not a surfer either, <laughs> but I can understand that. And also, I think for those uh, beginners, it the app can really offer some of the uh, information about whether it's safe to go surfing on a certain spot. So... Um, in that sense, especially if you are going to an un unknown place or the places you are not familiar with, um, this can be very this app can be very handy uh, for you to choose the location. I think mm. in that sense, it's uh, it's it has its benefits, and also it offers another uh, benefit of a community to social networking with other surfers. Um, not all of the surfers are professionals, you know, so we need to get some tips and to get the stories of other surfers and get to know the, uh, other surfers around the community. So it's a chance to to uh, expose yourself to a wider community of surfers. Yes, mm. immediately you see that there are conflicting ideas yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, with the traditionalists and the Traditionalists newcomers. will say that those sorts of experiences should happen in person. You know, oh. so you should go to a location and say to somebody that's a surfer, hey, yeah. is it safe to surf here? Yeah. What can you teach me? So I can see in terms of the way that society is going, that app would be hugely helpful, especially for beginner surfers and also creating mm. that community. But, you know, someone that's living in Jeffreys Bay that isn't necessarily tech savvy and that enjoys the community aspect of just like, you know, talking to somebody randomly on the beach. I can <laughs> see why this sort of idea would be horrible for a traditionalist. Yeah. Mm. And uh, we see that surfing has become a lot more, some would say, commercialized. Yeah. And there are certainly more surfers, according to one American study from 20, uh, 2009 to 2022, there was an increase of one million wow. people. Well, I mean, for their population, that is quite big, but for their Chinese <laughs> population. Um, but certainly we've seen there's a rise in interest mm. in surfing for Chinese people yeah. as well. Like apparently in Sanya, Sanya. in Hainan. Hainan. Yes. Um, and and still, I mean, one of the reasons why I was like, uh, during our uh, status meeting, I was like, we got to pick this topic, you know, because <laughs> so many of our listeners are like us. We feel we're like held up on our job, mm. uh, trapped within the four walls. Uh, of course, there's a door, but still, you get what I mean. Um, <laughs> and a window. <laughs> yes. Uh, hopefully more than one. Um, and 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 then, you know, we almost romanticize and fantasize the lifestyle of a surfer or someone, mm. even if you're not doing this full time, because with surfing, there's almost this like a uh, countercultural aspect to it. And those people hate this idea. <laughs> exactly. Do you see? So there's always, historically, there's been a huge battle between the commercial commercialization and growth of the sport to the people that actually live and breathe the cultural 
you know, just enjoyment element of the sport. There's always been a battle between those exactly. two factions. Exactly. Yeah. So what about the skateboard sports? That too, yep. Um, also, to a certain extent, maybe rap and hip-hop. That's not really a sport, but but also you see these uh, these music genres, you know, grow so big. But mm. certainly for uh, these cultures, sports, or, you know, this thing that people, or a small number of people living on the periphery who used to enjoy it so hardly, uh, wholeheartedly, and it was just between you and I, but now it's like for everyone. Mm. I mean, that's a fascinating process that we see happen uh, time and time again. And and maybe surf is going to be the next one. You're listening to Roundtable, and that brings us to the end of today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can always find us on Apple Podcast at Roundtable China. Thank you, uh, Brandon, and to you for joining the discussion. I'm Hyung. We'll see you next time.